1: Welcome to Dr. Mara Karpel and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpel.com. And today is Sunday, April the 2nd, 2023, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Karpel, and we are back live from beautiful Austin, Texas, and we have another great program in store for you today. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us as usual to make the show run smoothly. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined by keynote speaker, president of Stackpole and associates and co-host of the podcast, The Medical Travel Show, Irving Stackpole. And Irving will be here to help us wade through all of the difficulties or some of the difficulties, I don't think we could do them all tonight, in long-term care with the loss of direct care workforce and closures of nursing homes and the fatal contraction, as he puts it, of supply in long-term care. And maybe we can come up with some solutions right here. And then later in the program, the twins in Day of Vendetta, Mexico, join us once again. And along the way, I'll continue my discussion of living with passion and caregiving in the new normal. After the show, you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website. And the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight along with any website links. That are given by my guests on the program. And you can, all, you can hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blogtalkradio.com B-L-O-G, slash your golden years. And you'll also be able to hear it after the program on Apple Podcasts. And for information from previous programs to listen to previous programs going all the way back since we started on Blog Talk Radio over nine years ago, you can find that on my website, drmarikarpel.com. You can find it at blogtalkradio.com slash yourgoldenears, and all of those are also on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Marikarpel, Your Golden Years for future shows and upcoming events. This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by a mightygoodtime.com. Wondering what to do to connect with other people and activities after 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more, whether it's in person or virtual. Anything can be found to fill your day and connect with other people. So be more active and start connecting again. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. All right, we're going to take a brief break and play a few of our other sponsors' commercials, but it will be very brief, so don't go anywhere. Um, We'll be right back with Irving Stackpole to talk about the mess of long-term care and how to navigate it. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super
0: psychologist Dr. Mara Karpel will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed services or supplies you never received. There are three easy things you can do to prevent fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and look for any suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or call your local Medicare SHIP program. At 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com.
1: And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Maricarpel and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpel.com. And right now on the phone, we are joined by keynote speaker, president of Stackpole and Associates, and co-host of the podcast, The Medical Travel Show, Irving Stackpole. And I heard Irving speak to a group um, with the Great Panthers of New York, and I thought this topic was extremely important, and I'm so glad that he's here with us this evening. Good evening, Irving.
2: Good evening, Dr. Carpell. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
1: I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome. Um, well,
2: it's a pleasure, and uh, I think it's appropriate to start the conversation about our golden years.
1: Okay. Let's do that. <laughs>
2: okay. So um, I I think that um, that your audience is probably been introduced to lots of topics about aging, aging services, and the quote-unquote golden years. Um, Mm -hmm. the, The topic that seemed to engage us in our prior conversations had to do with one end or one side of those golden years, which is the side that few people really want to face up to but that many of us will need to which is when we are truly vulnerable and need really need services whether they are services in the home or whether they are services in a congregate setting like an assisted living residence or a nursing home um, the the status the condition of the systems that provide those services um, has to be described as a mess. And mm-hmm. there's there's been one uh, very famous author, a peer-reviewed journal author, who's gone so far as to suggest that we really don't have a quote-unquote system of long-term care in the United States at all. We have a hodgepodge of stopgap measures that have been accrued over the years in the 30 or 40 years um, that they've been assembled and that they really aren't coordinated, they don't collaborate, and I have to believe that that's true.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, what do you think the reason is? My, my, I have some ideas about why we've come to this point And, you know, I'm not talking about the financial issues. Uh, that's beyond me. But why it's been so hodgepodge, um, my view is that people just have never wanted to deal with it. They've never wanted to look at that period of time in our lives. Um, what are your thoughts yes, about that? Yes.
2: Well, I, I would refer, I would put that squarely in the category of denial, <laughs> and I mm-hmm. believe that that I believe that that's true, Mara. That denial is certainly a very powerful force in our culture. Denial also goes hand in glove with the rampant ageism in our society and in our culture. I've had the privilege to work all over the world, and I see very similar patterns of ageism and denial uh, in the U.K. as well as in, in the U.S. But the good news slash bad news is that those exam- our example, the United States example, stands in stark contrast to other places where persons of age are actually respected, uh, even revered, and certainly far better cared for. Uh, To answer the question that Mm -hmm. started me on that little observation, we are here because the care and support of persons, vulnerable persons of age, is the the history is pretty straightforward, that families took care of vulnerable persons of age until uh, those persons demise. Uh, and when the economy and economic development in the United States required that families separate, that families go in different directions, relocate, etc., when that began to occur, the resources that were available to persons of age were charity services and care homes. Mm -hmm. So these charity homes and charity services were predominantly operated by uh, churches and other mission-based organizations uh, in and around Major cities and towns, and those homes, those those charity homes, those poor houses, as they were also called, are mm-hmm. the antecedents and the direct genetic uh, dis- lineage of our nursing homes today. It's, there's no mistake about it. The nursing home of today uh, was built. In the in a direct uh, mirror Im- almost a mirror image of the poorhouses of their time uh, mm. and and were the mi- vast majority of nursing homes in the United States were built between nineteen sixty five and nineteen seventy eight and there's reasons why that is but during that period of time um, hospitals in the United States, were sprouting up everywhere, under what was called the Hill-Burton Act, and nursing homes were similarly popping up, and they were done in a very cookie-cutter manner. The designs of nursing homes were mirroring the designs of hospitals and all um, congregate care centers. So, if you think about it, somebody in 1965 designing a Nursing home, uh, who was 40 years of age, would have been born in 1925. Mm, so the mindset, okay. the the mindset of the persons designing uh, nursing centers, places where the elderly, vulnerable, and infirmed would be cared for, were they had a completely different uh, perspective on the, on on the world.
1: Right. Right. Um, what about the the newer ones, the ones that have built more recently? Have you seen any progress in, uh, in their design?
2: Well, that's a very interesting question. And the answer to it is mostly no, but occasionally yes.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and the reasons for that are um, a collision of governmental ageism and fear of um, being duped. So the the system of replacing nursing homes was never really – there's no system for replacing nursing homes. Uh, right. So you basically have the same nursing homes that were built then are in operation today. Uh, since 1991, there have been very, very few – new nursing homes built because most states have what's called a certificate of need requirement. So the government has been very afraid of the proliferation of nursing homes because most residents in nursing homes are paid for by by the program called Medicaid, which is a combination of state and federal funding, mostly state funding. And the state's the states were terrified of the additional financial burden that the growing number of nursing home residents would create. And so um, most states put in place these restrictive certificate of need requirements, which basically are barriers to the development of new nursing homes. Even if you want to tear down a dilapidated wing of an existing nursing home, uh, a wing that no longer meets fire and safety code, for example, a wing that no uh-huh. longer would be considered uh, state of the art or even acceptable in terms of heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, you know, very few anyhow. So even if you want to tear down an existing wing of a nursing home, you still have to go through the certificate of need requirements. And these certificate of need requirements are, preposterously um, difficult to navigate and extremely difficult to successfully achieve a certificate. So there's very few nurse, new nursing homes that have been built since 1991
1: because of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I noticed is that even some new nursing homes that are really beautiful and, and designed Differently, they don't look like hospitals inside my mom is in one of those, for example. Um, mm-hmm. there's still some of the same mindset that gets is that's there so the the environment is much prettier um but there's still some of that old nursing home uh way of doing things um you know, what it, you know, so what, you know, maybe we can talk about one of the, some of the things that happen inside the nursing home and, and the way that residents are viewed huh. and how that affects their well, care.
2: So, uh, yes, certainly. There, there are, the way to think of this is since we're going down the nursing home rabbit hole,
0: the way to think mm-hmm. about
2: this is to think about it, to think about the built environment, the physical environment, and then the program environment. So you can have a legacy building, an old building, even a building that you might look at and say, I don't want to go in there. But you can have wonderful programming within that decrepit or older or threadbare building. And I've seen that. And that's very encouraging. And it's a testament to the determination, the mission drive of the staff inside the people, inside the management of some buildings. Mm -hmm. I've seen other buildings that are, as you say, very glitzy, very new, very modern, very slick, with the same mentality as you would find in a nursing home that was built in 1965. I'll get to you when I can. I'll get to you. I'm so busy. Double Velcro tape back on the back of your hand to your forehead. You have no idea what I'm trying to deal with. Can't you just wait for a minute? That's just so frustrating and so inappropriate considering the populations for which they're caring. And that can exist Mm -hmm. in either a threadbare building or a brand-new building with a glossy chandelier. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: I've seen Mm -hmm.
2: very, very few buildings where the program environment drove built environment. And where one sees that, where I've seen it for the most part, is outside of the United States. Within the United States, there are a few examples that I've come across and they're considered so revolutionary they usually make it onto the front page of the local paper.
1: Uh-huh. Right. There There are some uh, nursing homes. Um, I, I guess they've been around for a while. The Eden, Eden environment. I've never been in one. Have you ever seen one of those? The Eden? Yes. yes. The Eden
2: alternative is a type of Programmatic uh, innovation that can be inserted, if you will, can be developed within an existing nursing center, within an existing nursing home, or, or frankly, within any in- environment. And these innovations, these programmatic um, uh, innovations, focus on the culture. So, you know, as a trained psychologist, the culture is describes the the unspoken rules that mm-hmm. guide behavior within and among a, a city, a town, a state, a country. Um, but for a nursing center, uh, the culture is extraordinarily important uh, because it determines the basic attitude, the basic uh, uh, way that the individuals who happen to work there view mm-hmm. the individuals who happen to be residents <laughs> there.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: we traditionally have called the people who work there, the people who are employed by the owner or operator, we call them staff or employees. And the people who are resident in the nursing centers are often called Patients, sometimes in a more modern vein, they're called guests or residents, which mm-hmm. is certainly more benign than patients. Patients implies right. a real dependency and vulnerability, and an asymmetry between the caregivers and the care receivers, which is mm-hmm. really. Um, difficult to stomach in the current environment. So yes, I have seen situations where the cultures are different and the examples are so few that they stand out. Uh Um, Yeah, they stand out. There are some (laughs) famous examples of organizations that have attempted to change the culture within the caregiving structures, the built environments, by changing the language. I, I focus on the language because I I believe strongly that metaphors are how we live our lives. That's how, how we are, how our culture, how our behavior is guided. And within mm-hmm. nursing centers, the current culture, as you and I have talked about, is all about Staff shortages and constraints in finances and limitations, and we don't have this, we don't have that, I don't have enough of this, I don't have enough time, that metaphor determines the lived experience of both the caregivers and the care receivers, and we need to find a way to break that pattern. We need to find a way to change the current language, and that is a tall order
1: mhm yeah i'm I'm constantly hearing about the staff shortage. Well, you know we can't do any better because we just don't have enough staff <laughs> we're trying we're trying to hire um, and my my uh what i have been saying is that you're not going to ever solve the staff shortage because that's been going on since way before COVID and just got worse during COVID. So it's not, it's not going to get better anytime soon, anyway. Um, so somehow they need to find a way to deal, to create a better environment and give the quality of care with what they have. I mean, that's, yes. that's the way yes, I think absolutely.
2: It. <laughs> absolutely. Yoda famously said to Luke, when he had Luke had tried and failed to do some task, Luke said, oh, I'll try again. And Yoda correctly corrected him and said, do or do not, there is no try. Right. And you, you pointed out, I think, quite accurately that... The quote unquote staffing shortage was a um, discussion point long before COVID ever hit. And the Mm -hmm. staffing shortage then was a direct result of inadequate compensation. So, and the fact that nursing homes were seen as terrible places to work. And that if you worked in a nursing home, you were generally looked down upon by those your, your friends and colleagues, and so bad pay, uh, uh, diminishment of your image. Let's see, do I want to work there?
3: Right. The answer, no.
2: <laughs> right. Uh, we did a we did a survey for the Massachusetts Medical Society years ago, and found not only did doctors all the doctors in Massachusetts except the obstetricians and a few other people, pathologists, etc. And not only did working in a nursing home reduce your professional standing among your colleagues, people who worked, the doctors who worked in nursing homes didn't like, thought it was an unattractive, difficult place to work. And, Mm-hmm. Fortunately, there is a new group of doctors I believe coming up through medical school and residency who recognize the need and are committing themselves to this work because it's it's very it's a very very uh difficult environment. The staff shortages are is part of what i've referred to uh in the literature and the uh, uh, webinars that we've done as a part of the fatal contraction. There's a contraction of workforce and now it looks, based on the best data that's available, it appears as though the long-term care sector has lost somewhere between 240 and 300,000 direct care workforce.
1: Mm, now, wow.
2: that is a critical loss of resource at a time when the general unemployment rate is so low and everything from Amazon to CVS is offering new employees sign-on bonuses and very attractive packages. So there's a uh, pilfering of the individuals who would ordinarily consider for scheduling purposes and, other reason, to would ordinarily consider working in nursing centers or home health care, those individuals are getting pilfered by other uh, potential employers. So there's both mm-hmm. a demographic and a current macroeconomic reason why this this time the staff shortages are biting even more deeply.
1: So, so as family members of someone who's, you know, living, of people who are living in nursing homes, what, what are the, what are some solutions that families can do to deal with this? It's a pretty stressful time for a loved one to be in a nursing home, even the nicest of nursing homes because of all the reasons that you just described. Um, Any thoughts on that? Yes. uh, Well,
2: I, I'm, I deal with it myself on a regular basis, not because of my parents. I'm, uh, my parents are gone, but because mm-hmm. my colleagues and friends know I have been involved in this sector since 1985. And because of that, uh, I get at least a call, a call or two a month, very often three or four calls a month, from family and colleagues who want to know what to do. They just don't know what to do. So, to to go back to the question, what sort of accessible, user-friendly coaching or advice can I offer, um, the first is, that don't wait until it's a crisis. So, so many individuals, so many adult children of older parents, wait until there's a precipitous event before researching what options are available to them, that is sort of mm-hmm. uh, mistake number one. Um, my strong suggestion is that that those of us with uh, those of us baby booms and Gen X who have elderly parents, that we orient ourselves now to what services and resources are available in our marketplace area, which raises another question. Well, if you're living in Massachusetts, well, I don't have to make too fine a point on it, but if you're living in Austin, Texas and your mom's in Connecticut, how do you uh-huh. handle that? How do you handle it? It needs to be research into both marketplace areas. So you need to become familiar with the marketplace area in Connecticut and understand the regulatory and licensing lingo and understand that assisted living and independent living might mean something different in Texas than it does in Connecticut, which is actually true. I know this Mm -hmm. because we've done market studies in both of those marketplace areas. So they mean different things. So the first thing is to just become available, uh, just become familiar with the language, there we have language again, with the language uh-huh. that's used to describe the service provision in both marketplace areas. Because it could be that if you're in Wisconsin and your mom's in Florida, it could be that mom's going to wind up back in Wisconsin with you in a, around where the family support network is. It could be that mom's going to stay in Florida, so you need to become familiar with the provision of care. The second thing, have a resource that you have um, individuals in in your sphere who are familiar with the terms, familiar with what's possible. Very often this is a nurse. There are individuals called geriatric care managers.
3: Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of Mm -hmm.
2: them, so if you can find one, uh, latch yourself onto one and um, avail yourself of their services because they can help you navigate the, the incredible, arcane, complex system of not only securing care but securing available payment for or funding of that care. Mm-hmm. So those would be two steps that all of us could take and we could take them uh we could take them
1: today. Okay. Okay. So education is a big part of it. <laughs> I think that's really important because most people really are going into this like a deer in headlights. They just don't know what's going on and it's pretty overwhelming. So I think that's a really great point.
2: Overwhelm is a very good description for an all-too-common situation where mom falls, breaks her hip, winds up in the hospital. She Her surgery goes smoothly, and three days later, you get a call from the hospital discharge planner. They're sending mom home on Thursday, and you say, you're what? That's
1: overwhelming. Mhm, mhm. Right, right, and that happens a lot.
2: All, all um, too often,
1: yes. Now this is a really big topic, and we're actually running out of time. I would love to have you come back another time to talk about it, and also to talk about you know what you do, what your business is, and and even your podcast. Um. But could listeners find out more about you online? Meanwhile,
2: I'm I'm embarrassed how much there is online about me and my and the work that I do. Yes, the our okay. website is Stackpole is uh, www.stackpoleassociates.com. Uh, The website has a rich set of resources, including um, uh, a resources tab. And you can follow the resources tab and uh, click through onto a wide variety of informational and uh, other types of guidance uh, resources. We've got information there about the CDC. We've got information there. Uh, I'm sorry, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. We've mm-hmm. got information there from AARP and a number of other uh, Uh, qualified resources for uh, families and individuals who want to learn more. And I would be delighted to come back, Mara.
1: Great. Great. Um, And I'm going to post your website on my website post about this show later tonight. So if listeners um, they didn't have a pen and paper to write it down. They can just go to my website later and they'll see there. they could click on it. I'm glad to hear that you have a resources tab because we could always use <laughs> resources of information absolutely and um, I would love to have you back so we'll we'll be in touch about that okay this was it's this was really thank you yeah, this was really informative and it was a good. It was definitely a good introduction to this very overwhelming topic, but there is so much more. Um, So thank you. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you for having me, Dr. Carpel.
1: All right. You have a very good evening.
2: Thank you very much.
1: All right. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right. And we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on BlogTalkRadio.com and on Dr. And I'm so glad that Irving agreed to come on the program. And I'm really looking forward to having him back because this really is a big topic. And it's, I'm right. I'm immersed in it myself. Um, I, having worked in nursing homes for many years, I was immersed as a practitioner, as a psychologist, and now um, my mom is in a nursing home, and there are, it takes, you think that your family member moves into a nursing home, and it's a really nice one, and it's it's one of the best. And you think, that's it, I don't have to worry anymore. But it doesn't end. It, that journey doesn't end. If you want your family member to have a high quality of life, it's really important to be involved. And, as, and, and I am going to agree with Irving that if you are, um, like most people, are unaware of all of the resources, and um, are, are unaware of how to um, navigate within the nursing home and the different departments, it is a good idea to hire a geriatric care manager. And there are services, if you look online, there are companies that do that and individuals. Um, I myself have been acting as my own, as my mom's geriatric care manager along with the help of my brother, my brother actually is the the financial part, the part that Irving just described in terms of finding a place that's appropriate and finding out how to pay for it and then the whole, um, most people who end up in a nursing home end up on Medicaid and that does, that is even if you are someone in a a very comfortable Financial situation. You've worked all your life. You have you've built up quite a bit of savings. If you live long enough, you will end up on Medicaid. Um, the people who do not end up on Medicaid are, P- are people who die before the uh, money runs out, or people who are fairly wealthy. But if if you are comfortable but not wealthy, you will end up on Medicaid. Now it doesn't just automatically happen. There is a lot that goes into applying for Medicaid. And um, I have a brother who really kept up with all of that. And And he also hired a service to help him when the time came. But it's a big job. So hiring a company that helps specifically with Medicaid is advisable. Um, as well as hiring a geriatric care manager who can let you know what you need to do to prepare for that and when to get ready to hire the company that helps you with actually applying for Medicaid. So um, it's a big job. And I've been talking in the past few weeks about um, the, the pa- living a passionate life and, and remaining um and remaining passionate while while being a caregiver in this new normal as irving mentioned there are a lot of things that have changed and a lot of things have um the most people think of the of the global pandemic um as having affected certain issues like the fact that you know you have to wear a mask in the nursing home, and when there's an outbreak, uh, you know, a spike in the virus, um, there are certain uh, rules of whatever state that nursing home is in, and the Department of Health of what you need to do, um, quarantining, and all of that. But there are other issues, and as Irving mentioned, that ha- that affect the staffing. Um, a lot of people have left the the nursing home situation, so. This is the new normal. I don't see this as changing anytime soon. And there are other issues that have always been present. And that really goes back to what Irving was saying about the system of nursing homes, the culture and how it began and how this culture has really not changed. So, my, um, my passion at this point is creating a way to um, for families to be advocates for their loved ones and within the nursing home and learning from my own path in advocating for my mom and finding the, the issues that come up um, dealing with them in a way that create can continue to uh, lead to a better quality of life while she's living in a nursing home. And one issue that has come up recently, and I think this is one that has continually come up, um, is that very often when you're working in a system with a lot of people with all different, uh, the staff with all different needs and desires and the um fear in the nursing home of injury of residents uh, of staff um, there's a tendency for decisions to be made that have to do with creating uh, with with moving to a level of functioning that is not the highest level that the resident is able to achieve But it's easier for the staff. So I'll give you an actual example. Um, My mom, my mom, had lost her ability to walk. She can stand, but the muscles that help her to take steps forward are were weakened by a combination of having had a stroke a few years ago and then worsened when she was in the hospital for a month last year and when she came out of the hospital she could no longer walk but she's in physical therapy and she can stand and she's really strong at standing so there is a device that's called the cricket and you can look it up on Google what it looks like and it's a very it's a really kind of cool device where a, res, a person who is in a wheelchair can pull themselves up just standing and then uh, cushions go behind them so that they don't fall backward. And then while standing, they can be wheeled to whatever um, place they're transferring to a chair, a a bed, the, the toilet, that sort of thing, a car. um, Actually we don't use it. You can't really take it outside. It's not stable. So not a car nix that one. (laughs) Um, And it, it maintains my mom's level of uh, independence, the feeling that she can stand up herself, that she um, isn't being lifted up by a device. Um, she can pull herself, so she's getting exercise to keep her upper body strength. She's keeping her lower body strength in addition to the physical therapy. Um She started getting a little bit weaker because she was having um, pain in her shoulder that was affecting her hands. And at times she was, the staff were having a little, she was having trouble standing up on her own and the staff had to kind of pull her up and they were afraid of injuring themselves in doing that. So they, when the physical, the physical therapist came up to evaluate my mom's shoulder she spoke to uh, a, a nursing aide who told her that she's having trouble standing. And rather than evaluating my mom with this device and talking to the aides at different shifts, because sometimes she's stronger than other times of day, she just flippantly wrote the order to move her to out of that device into what is called a standing hoyer where she's lifted up by a device, which is very uncomfortable for her, for her size. But the other part of that is that she would be losing her independence and she would actually lose the ability to stand up with this cricket. It wouldn't be temporary because if you don't use it, you lose it. So I had to jump in and it was, and Navigate through the system to talk to physical therapy, to talk to nursing, to talk to the nursing supervisor. And finally, found an ally, which is very important. Family members need to find their ally who have some power within the facility. And the ally was the nursing supervisor who said, you know, I understand completely where you're coming from. She said, I was in your shoes. Um, My dad was in a nursing home, and I was not just a nurse, but I was the child, the adult child, and I was the one trying to advocate for him. And what I hear you saying is that you don't want your mom to lose the abilities that she has. You want to keep her at the highest level that she can be Um, For as long as possible. And you're not trying to frustrate the staff. You don't want people to get injured. Um, But you want to work together to make that happen. And I said, exactly. So she actually spoke with physical therapy physical therapy is now working with my mom to act to use that device that so she's where they're working specifically in strengthening her ability to stand up with that device and physical therapy came to t- retrain the aids in using that device for someone with short arms like my mom and that'll be me when I'm her age because I'm short um, the modifications that are needed for someone who is short and um, the day shift and the evening shift. And, the, you know, the order was changed back for her to use that and only use the Hoyer stand-up Hoyer if she's so tired that it would cause injury for them to try this cricket. And the feedback that I've gotten is my mom is doing fantastic with this Hoyer now. It just took a little, a couple of training sessions for everybody, and my mom is doing really well, and they have not resorted to using the Hoyer. So it's really important um, because the nursing home is going to look for the easiest way for the staff, easiest way for the nursing home. They're not necessarily going to be thinking about maintaining the highest level of functioning for the resident and the highest level of quality of life for the resident. Um, so families need to um, keep that in mind and find their ally. All right. And we're getting started with that family council, the virtual family council that I've been discussing on this program on April 18th. And I will continue um to keep you posted on how that goes. Um, the, next, the next show that we have will be two days prior to that and I'll talk about some of the obstacles to starting a family council and how to overcome them. Um, all right, so now to beautiful Bay of Banderas, Mexico where we are going to be hearing from Ruben.
3: Freaking, flying so high now shows a man where to fish. Watch me send it, he lies in his hand. Teach his stories how to live, and he knows how to live.
1: Yeah. All right, so we're doing something a little bit different today. Um, people have been asking questions about Ruben and Minerva and about their life. So we've been doing this show for almost three years, and we've got a lot of questions. So we're going to start today with Ruben. Hola, Ruben. Hola. How are you today?
4: Uh, I'm very good. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. How's the weather down, down there?
4: Hot in the afternoon, but in the mornings and in the night it's a little bit cold. But it's nice. The summer is coming, so kind
1: of really, really hot. Yeah, you better enjoy those cool mornings and nights. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So as I said, um, people are asking questions about who you two are. So I have some questions for you. All right. Okay. What is your favorite TV program?
4: TV programs? Um, I, don't, I don't see so much TV. Oh, I so just see uh, Netflix and YouTube sometimes, but like TV programs, I don't see like, so much.
1: Do you have a favorite Netflix series?
4: Uh, mm, <laughs> no. I don't see like, so much like programs. I don't know why.
1: Okay. Well, that's good. You're busy. You're busy outdoors, I think. Right? What, is, what are you doing these days? Now that you've graduated, what are you doing?
4: Um, now I'm uh, working like a personal trainer um, of the old woman. So I train that woman like every day. And I go to the gym. I play basketball and in the mornings. I'm studying um, the market. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. That, Doing right
1: now. No wonder you don't have time for TV. That's great. Are you surfing?
4: Uh, not so much. Like Sometimes. All right. Because I'm focusing more on my, like, grow mental and my healthy and that stuff. I want to be, like, yeah. I mean, like, in the process, like, when I'm, like, growing and that stuff. So, yeah, I'm focusing on me
1: that's great. So, what is your favorite sport?
4: Sport?
1: Yeah.
4: Um, I have three. Basketball, <laughs> um, gym, and surf.
1: Great. Okay. And of the places you've been, which is your favorite?
4: Um, I love um, Santancho and Cancun. I go, uh, in the past summer, I, wa- I was in Cancun with my girlfriend. I like it so much, too. And Germany, too.
1: In Germany, yes. You recently went there. And you just answered yeah. one of the questions I had. Do you have a girlfriend?
4: <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. What's your favorite food?
4: Um, I like everything. Like, I eat so much eggs and um, a lot of eat a lot a lot of food that has high protein. I don't
3: know,
4: like pizza, pastas, um, all that stuff.
1: <laughs> What's your favorite dessert? What do you like to eat sweet?
4: Uh, carrot cake, I think so, mm-hmm.
1: and cookies too. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. How tall are you? Sorry? How tall are you?
4: Um, Like one point, uh, I don't know. How much is Like 180 centimeters or more, I don't know. Like six, six zero feet? Wow,
1: six feet. You've gotten tall.
4: Or five or seven, something like that. I don't
1: know. Okay. And <laughs> <check that. laughs> what would be your perfect job?
4: Um, the one that I'm studying right now, day um, trading the market. That's the the job that I want to be doing in my life. So I'm studying a lot of that because that job, uh, I can do a uh, decent money and I can have more time to do some stuff that i like to. I want to travel and that stuff. So I'm preparing myself for that.
1: Great. Lucky that you're doing something you already love. And yeah. yeah. Finally, what's the name of that rooster that's always crowing on the show? <laughs> well,
4: I don't know. There are so many <laughs> <laughs> so it's not yours no but we have a neighbor that has a lot of chickens and roosters and they are like all day
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay all right well I, we'll do this again in the future we want to hear how you're doing and what's changed and okay All right. Yeah. talk to you soon and until then adios
4: uh, so next time, Adios.
1: Thank you so much. All right. So that was Ruben, and next time will be Minerva. And I want to let you know what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, next week, Sunday, April 9th, we'll be taking a break, and we wish all who celebrate a happy Easter and a happy Passover. They are both happening at the around the same time. And then the following week, we'll be back with another great live program. Geriatrician Dr. Michael Wasserman is the chair of the Public Policy Committee of the California Association of Long-Term Care Medicine. And he serves on the board of the Wish of a Lifetime Foundation from AARP and has spoken extensively and has been published on a variety of topics involving geriatrics, long-term care, and healthcare, business, and finance. So he'll be joining us to touch on some of the pressing current issues of geriatric healthcare and nursing home care. Um, So we'll be discussing it from a medical perspective. And also the amazing cellist, Tanya Anisimova, will be back. We love her music And she'll be here to talk about her music, we'll be playing some of her music, and she'll be talking about Ukraine. She was on a year ago right after Ukraine was invaded. Um, If you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show and listen to the previous program, etc., go to drmarikarpel.com. And you can also hear this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to blogtalkradio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com B-L-O-G, talk slash your golden years. And you can also hear it on Apple Podcasts in five minutes. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, your golden years, to know what's coming up next. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions, and it was sponsored by aMightyGoodTime.com. Thank you to my guests, Irving Sackpole and Ruben in Bay of Vandadas, Mexico. And thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring couple of weeks. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe.
3: Bird who has to walk ain't got no place to fly feeling like, like a thief that's in the sun ain't got no place to hide And I don't know how I can take If I turn around to oh, find you gone
0: Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpel is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpel, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any information on this program.